Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Somehow, someway, it's a Tuesday, but it doesn't feel like a Tuesday when it's a short week with the Bengals playing a game. On Saturday, not Sunday, as they welcome the New England Patriots. Or no, they go to New England. See, it shows you I'm still catching up from the Tampa trip. Welcome into another edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast. Muhammad Ahmad joined by Andrew Gillis as we set the stage for Bengals versus Patriots. The first time these two teams have met since 2019 when Tom Brady was the quarterback. But it's not Tom Brady this time. It's Mac Jones. It's Burrow versus Jones, but instead of setting the stage for Burrow versus Jones, I want to really set the stage for Burrow versus Belichick because of all the coaches that Joe Burrow has faced, I think, Andrew, you would agree that Bill Belichick being the all-time great, this is going to be the toughest uh, from a schematic coaching, just you know, legendary point of view. This is really the biggest task I had for Joe Burrow in his short career, but, you know – and this is not a knock on Bill Belichick, and I'll kind of get to Burrow's thoughts later and expand on that, but, you know, Belichick's been coaching probably almost as long as our parents have been alive. I mean, he's been coaching longer than both my parents have been alive, but, you know, just from the way the Patriots have looked this year, do you really think it's a matter of the talent? Do you think it's the way they've been drawing up the plays? And to that point, is it really actually, am I contradicting myself? Is it going to be that big of a challenge for Burrow going against Bill Belichick? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know about the toughest challenge of his career. That that you know that might be a little bit um, hyperbole because uh, Patriots defense is good, um, but they're not you know league best. You know, in, in terms of points against, they're seventh in the league, which is obviously pretty good. Um, you got two t- you got two guys who are above ten sacks. One of them being Matthew Judon, who has fourteen and a half. Um, you know, he he can really kind of wreck a game for you. Um, so you you know the the Bengals are up against it, kind of. Um, with, with the front that they're going to play, uh, obviously that, that, that staff over there in New England can, can scheme up defenses, but, you know, it just New England's offense has been so bad all year. Um, you know, they're, they're not really that talented in terms of their points for, um, you know, they, last week they lost one of the wilder games I've ever seen, um, or at least one of the wilder finishes, um, Mac Jones thrown seven touchdowns and eight interceptions this year in 11 games. Um, you know, Bailey Zappi's the backup. He's not that good. Like there's just not a, there's just, to me, there's not a lot of offensive firepower there. You don't really have a game breaking receiver. I mean, your number one receiver in new England, I was looking at this today. It's Ramondre Stevenson. Um, who's obviously also their very talented running back. Uh, you know, Jacoby Myers, Nelson Aguilar, Hunter Henry, like you can kind of go down the list and say like, okay, like these are, you know, good role players, but they don't really have anybody that scares you. So, um, you know, to me, this is going to be a game for the Bengals and, and Joe Burrow, like you were saying, where if you can get, you know, if you can hang 24, you're going to be feeling really, really good about what you can do in that game, just because I'm not sure that the Patriots offense is going to be able to keep up. 
So you're saying no one scares you, not even Bill Belichick? Like, you're not scared of Darth Vader, bro? No, I mean... He's I mean, coming after you. Yeah, like, Belichick like <laughs> Belichick's a great, you know, he's obviously a great defensive mind. Um, you know, he can, you know, he can scheme up a lot of things. But, I mean, the Bengals' offense is also really, really good. And, you know, they're one of the better offenses in the sport. Um, it's, at, at some point, they're going to break through. Um, you know, Belichick, you can, you can kind of look at his history and, you know, point to certain games, you know, you can go all the way back to the Bills Giants Super Bowl when, um, you know, he, he stopped the, the Kagan offense that Buffalo was running and, you know, everybody was kind of awed by that and they should be, I mean, in that playbooks in the hall of fame, um, for a reason, you know, they won a game against the greatest show on turf Rams, you know, the year that the Rams went nuts with, with McVay and Goff and a couple of years ago, um, you know, they, they pulled that thing where they were, they were calling in their defenses you know, after the headset shut off. So, you know, golf couldn't have time to react with McVeigh. So, you know, that you can kind of point to all of those things, but I just don't know. I mean, obviously they have the talent defensively um, and there are defense that scares you, but like, I, you know, the Bengals are not running into this game, you know, shaking and quivering because they're terrified of what Bill Belichick might have up his sleeve. Not a single bit. And I think that's the overarching theme of, you know, approaching a guy like Bill Belichick. As I said, I was going to get to kind of Joe Burrow's thoughts. And I'll actually be writing something on this for Wednesday. So be on the lookout for that. But, you know, it was simple. I actually asked Joe Burrow, you know, I mean, the guy is one of the greatest, if not the greatest all time. It's your first time going against him. And he was like, you know, and he gave credit. Like, and this is obviously, I think, something that Belichick is still good at. You know, he's good at adjustments. I think he's one of the best. Uh, head coaches when it comes to making adjustments in the second half. It's part of why he has six rings on his hand. Uh, Sans Tom Brady, of course, but, you know, he was good at that. He's still good at that. And I think Burrow acknowledged that there's going to be a lot of things that maybe they're going to watch on film this week that they might not see otherwise in game. Uh, But he said, other than that, I mean, it's, you know, and it's Joe Burrow. He's going to say this on a lot of other topics, but it's just another game. It's just another team. You know, Zach Taylor tipped his hat to Bill Belichick. He coached against him his very first year when he was the head coach in Cincinnati when the Patriots came to then called Paul Brown Stadium. You know, of course, that was Brady's last season in New England. So, you know, he's gone against him. I think, you know, when he was in Miami, obviously, Taylor was, um, when he was an assistant coach back in the day where he started his career. You know, he was obviously familiar with, you know, Belichick's schemes there. Not as familiar as he is now, but you're right. It's just really, I think... You know, a lot of us are guilty of this, including me. I think we look at it as, oh, you know, we had Mahomes versus Burrow, Brady versus Burrow. And I, I literally just said minutes ago, Burrow versus Belichick. But then just based on what I also said, it's a matter of like, it's just Burrow versus the Patriots. It's a week 17. No, I'm sorry, week 16 game. See, I can't even keep track of time because the season is just hard to believe flying by. But, you know, I want to go back to Matthew Judon, like you said. Nadra, I want your thoughts on this. I think... You would know about this more than a lot of people. You covered Matthew Judon uh, during those last couple of years. He was in Baltimore before he went to New England. You know, why is Matthew Judon so good? And do you think maybe he's one of the least talked about players for his talent uh, at his position? Yeah, I mean, he's certainly one of them. Um, you know, when, when I, I covered them in, in Baltimore in 2019 and 2020, and I remember at the end of that 2019 season, uh, everybody knew he was up on a contract. Um, they really hadn't had any significant contracts come through yet. Um, you know, they had, they like, they traded for Marcus Peters, but they extended him. They didn't need Andrews to extend him yet. They didn't need to extend Stanley. They didn't need to extend Humphrey. Lamar's contract was way off in the distance. 
it, Judon was really kind of the focal point of that offseason. So they franchise tagged him. Um, and then after the 2020 season, they obviously let him go into free agency. The, the Ravens value uh, comp picks very, very much. Um, you know, they're one of those teams where, you know, I, I, one of the things I always give them credit for is that, you know, they, they look at draft picks as kind of a, uh, or comp picks, excuse me, as, as, as a weapon basically, because, you know, if you lose a free agent, sometimes it's not always for nothing, you know, you're getting a third or fourth or fifth round pick back and that team picks a lot. And, you know, whether or not, you know, you can poke holes in them. I mean, I'm they're they're terrible at drafting receiver and they don't have any on the roster right now, pretty much. Um, so you can kind of go into all that, but moving aside, they let Judon walk, you know, they looked at it as a we're gonna take the comp pick and he's gonna cost us too much money. And then he shows up in New England, he had twelve and a half sacks last year, he has fourteen and a half through fourteen games this year. I mean, you're talking about a guy who every game on average this year gets home to the quarterback. So you know, he, he's a challenge. And one of the things that he does well is, he, it, you know, it's cliche, but he just has a motor that doesn't really stop. Um, you know, he's got 50 tackles this year. Um, you know, he, he gets after the quarterback. He's got 26 quarterback hits. Like he, he really gets home. And it's it's one of those things where he doesn't stop. Um, you know, that is, I think, what, what kind of makes any edge rusher unique. I think you can kind of look around the league and um, you know, point to point to guys who are, you know, really, really good at, at you know, pass, rushing, rushing the passer or, you know, may, maybe more all around. They're not as good at rushing the passer, but they're really, really good in run defense. You know, you kind of there's different edge rusher uh, tiers you can kind of put in, put different guys into. But with Judon, you know, he's good at he's good at all things. And, you know, he's got a motor that just keeps on moving. So he's he's a challenge for sure. And the crazy thing to everything that you just said is I believe before the Raiders game, which I know they want to forget about, and we'll get to that, but um, Judon was telling reporters, I'm not the best edge rusher on the team. Josh Uche is. And, I mean, I don't know if he's as good personally, in my opinion, as Judon, but, I mean, Zach Taylor talked about it. Like, you're not talking about just Judon. You're talking about two of the best edge rusher tandems in the league. And... I agree with that, and I'm also someone who didn't really think much of that because I haven't really paid much attention to just, I mean, the Patriots being inconsistent. Funny enough, I said the uh, the Buccaneers were the most inconsistent team. I think the Patriots are the most inconsistent team not named Tampa Bay. So, yeah, the interesting paradox of Brady leaving is, you know, maybe adds to that. But, I mean, that that is a really good set. I mean, if you're, you know, Lyle Collins and you're Jonah Williams – you know, and, and actually, before I get to Collins specifically, I mean, you've been doing well for the most part. Collins, I don't think as much has been as hot lately. But, you know, for Williams, he did well enough uh, in Tampa Bay besides those first two sacks that were allowed. Although I think that was actually on Collins. But the point is, what do those two guys do? I mean, they're going to have their hands full the most. How do they make sure that, you know, Burrow stays as comfortable as he needs to be like he's been for the most part since the bye week? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's kind of like we talked about when, when, you know, you play a Miles Garrett defense or when you play, you know, a TJ Watt defense, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of chipping involved um, with those guys. But, you know, the thing that makes the Patriots kind of unique is that when you got two guys who have the sack totals that they do, um, that's just not an easy task to go up against considering, you know, the Bengals are not a team that's going to run a lot of two tight end sets. The Bengals are not a team that, you know, can, you know, they can really help out just stylistically 
um, with with two edge rushers like that. Typically, you know, sometimes when they go into the shotgun, um, so Majay Piran, we've talked about this before, he kind of lines up in that up-back role, you know, right behind uh, right behind Ted Karras and whichever guard, left or right, Cordell Volson or Alex Kappa. So, um, you know, it, it's a challenge for sure. And, and I think you, you chip them when you can, um, but the Bengals have shown they're not afraid to get the ball out pretty quick. So, you know, I think it's just going to be if you can, you know, if you can get the football out and kind of slow those guys down, I think they're going to be okay. So to that point, I was saying earlier about Collins, I'm looking at his PFF grades from that Tampa Bay Bengals game on Sunday. Not good. Um, Overall, his run blocking was a 52. His pass blocking was a 47. And that's not even his worst game. If you go to the Cleveland game, do you know what his pass blocking grade was? What do you think it was? I have no idea. Um, yeah. 14.5. 14.5. That's that's the worst he's had this year. Um, he also had his worst offensive overall grade with a 40.5. He was actually – so I'm going to be fair. His run blocking has not been bad. Like If you look at his last six games, besides that Tampa Bay game and the Tennessee game, his run blocking has actually been pretty good. But, no, his pass blocking has actually – for the most part, kind of trended downward, and his overall offensive grades aren't really all that great. And so I think that bears the question. Again, he's not, I think, the worst at what he's doing. I don't mean to be critical or throw him under the bus, but when you look at grades like that and you look at the two sacks that he gave up against Tampa Bay, that could have very well changed the course of the game if the Bengals didn't come back down 17-0. I mean, how concerned are you about the way he's been playing? I mean, is it much of a concern? No, not not a ton for me, to be honest with you. Um, you know, the PFF grades are what they are. Um, I, I, I've kind of expressed skepticism about those before. Um, you know, I, obviously you can, you know, you look at the top of the list, I'm sure, you know, it's Trent Williams and Tristan Wirfs and, you know, Lane Johnson and, you know, Panay Sewell. And I'm sure those guys are, are pretty high up at the list. And I'm not saying that, you know, Lael Collins or uh, Jonah Williams has been playing at that level. But, you know, against that Cleveland or in that Cleveland game, they only allowed one sack. Um, you know, Burrow only got sacked one time in that game. Um, you know, I'd have to check and see how many times he got hit. Um, but they, if you're keeping the quarterback up, I mean, they had two sacks against Tampa. And, I mean, admittedly, one of them I thought was pretty clearly Lael's fault. Uh, looked like he didn't come off. The, you know, Ted Karras mentioned that, you know, they did a lot of stunts, a lot of blitzes, and it, didn't, and it looked like – I don't have to go back, but it looked like Lael didn't come off on one of them um, when he should have. He had a double with Kappa, and he should have picked up the guy coming off the edge. But, you know, you're talking about a game where you have two sacks, you have one sack the week before, one sack the week before, one sack the week before. I mean, if compared to the first, you know, eight or so games, this team, this offensive line has gotten a lot better. So, you know, my concern level is not super high with that right now. Yeah, I understand that, and I agree wholeheartedly. The offensive line overall has been great. I mean, I know you've uh, been talking to Cordell Volson about how great he's been, and I mean, like a lot of guys, like Ted Karras have said, he's not a rookie anymore. I think, did, did Zach Taylor say that too? I think even he said Cordell's not a rookie anymore. I think Someone so. else said that, I believe, right? I don't know. Or am I, I just crazy? I have to go back and look, but yeah, I mean, that has kind of been, um, you know, one of the one of the rallying cries, I guess, is that, you know, they've, they've played together now for a while where at the beginning of the year, they just hadn't played together. You know, they had new guys coming in, guys were hurt during camp, guys were, you know, Cordell's a rookie. They were just, you didn't have a lot of reps together, but I think now they're feeling a lot better about themselves now that they have gotten those reps together. 
and I am too. And hopefully all of you listening are feeling good as well. And you hope, we hope you keep feeling good because when we come back on the podcast, we're going to talk about how much the Patriots defense may or may not get to Joe Burrow elsewhere with the Bengals offense. Plus, we're going to do our weekly check-in with the MVP rankings to see where Joe Burr sits in the rankings. We'll be right back on the Strictly Stripes podcast. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. So, Andrew, we've been talking a lot about uh, the Patriots' defense, and it really starts with that pass rush of, uh, you know, Josh Uche and Matthew Judon, and you talked a lot about Judon. You had some great insight having covered him. But I think someone that people don't forget about, because I think he still talked about, which in and of itself says volumes, but Devin McCourty. I've been watching this guy since I was like, he was drafted in 2010. I was probably 12, 13 years old when I started watching him. And I think he's well out of his prime. But the guy still makes plays at his age. I mean, he is not a bad player. Um, he's the longest uh, tenured defensive player on the team. He's not the longest tenured overall. I think that would actually be Matthew Slater, uh, which, man, that guy's been playing special teams longer than I can remember. But, I mean, to have someone like McCordy playing as long as he has, playing at the level he has, you know, if you're Jamar Chase or T. Higgins, you know, how much do you plan for when I mean, you plan for a guy like that? But how do you plan for someone like Devin McCourty? Uh, I mean, it's one of those things where unless you're playing a Jalen Ramsey level player, you know, like unless you are playing that type of guy where you just go, oh, no, like we really, like, you know, like a sauce Gardner or. Uh, you know, Patrick Peterson or a Marlon Humphrey, like unless you're playing that level guy, I'm not sure you do too much differently for the Bengals. I'm not sure you kind of focus on one guy because I mean, you're the, you're the Bengals. Like you have Jamar Chase, you have T Higgins, you have Tyler Boyd, like you have probably the best receiving core in the league. Like that's not something that you run from. I don't think, um, you know, so to me, I, I don't know if you do anything differently because in a lot of situations you can trust guys to win on one-on-one matchup or, you know, beat a guy deep or, you know, make, you know, run a good route and get open across the middle, no matter what kind of coverage they're facing. So, I mean, I think unless you're playing one of those guys that kind of dictates that that's what you have to do, there's not really anything different that the Bengals are going to do offensively. So with that, you know, the Patriots, I believe uh, as of right now, are just about a top 10 defense in the league, which for all that it's worth, you know, um, that actually has been pretty impressive on a lot of different fronts. You know, when you look at um, the main aspects of that defense, like the pass rush and McCourty and, you know, uh, some of the other guys in between, what else sticks out to you about this Patriots defense? And, you know, I know we talked about game planning for Bill Belichick, but how do you specifically, you know, game plan for this defense? And where, where do you see them maybe kind of uh, sneaking up on the Bengals? Like, what do you think they might try to pull up their sleeve, if you had to guess? Uh, if you were the know. play caller. Yeah, I mean, if I were the Patriots, yeah, if I were running the Patriots, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, they you obviously have two really talented edge rushers. Um, so to me, that is, you know, that is an area that you really kind of want to lean into. Um, you know, they're they're not really elite at at any one thing. You kind of look at it and say, you know, okay, they're they're pretty good, and you know, they're pretty good in their pass rush, um, in their pass defense rather. You know, their run defense is pretty good. Uh, in terms of points per game, they're pretty good. They're, they're not, you know, like by far and away the best, you know, pass defense in the league or anything like that. So, you know, if I were them, um, I think what you do is, 
you um, you just kind of load up, uh, you know, at the at the in, in the box, and and you kind of do what you can to slow those receivers and and kind of force Joe Burrow to hold that ball an extra beat, an extra tick. Um, you know, because obviously that does, it, it gives you the, the nightmare scenario, of, you know, getting beat deep by like a Jamar Chase or a T Higgins or something like that. But you also give uh, T Higgins and, uh, or excuse me, you also give, you know, Uche and, and Judon a chance to, to get home. So um, th- that's what I would do. You just got to give as much time as you can for those edge rushers to get home and trust that, you know, the 20, what is it? 25, something like that sacks combined that uh, yeah. they'll be able to do that. That's right. So to that, I mean, you know, um, you know, that's, that's a good point. I think something that really sticks out, like, obviously you want to start fast. You don't ever want to start down 17, no, like they were against the Bucks or, you know, against Cleveland, it was 11 at halftime that transpired to a 25, nothing deficit. I mean, you don't want that. Nobody wants that, obviously. So, you know, the Bengals have to clearly start fast. And that's something that they've acknowledged, you know, Brian Callahan acknowledged it. And that's why when you're going against a guy like Bill Belichick, he called it in his own words, a cat and mouse game. And I like that analogy because like, that's exactly what it is. Like they're going to try to trap you. They're going to try to get you, but you got to be elusive. Um, you know, like you, you, you can't let the, you know what I'm saying? Like the, if you're, if you're the, the mouse in this case, I mean, you got to be everywhere. You got to be all over. Otherwise they're going to trap you. And like, that's what's unfortunately happened to the Bengals in some of these games. They overcame some of them, like we saw on Sunday. That wasn't the case with many other games. But at the same time, though, if you're kind of flipping that, just the way they've been able to close out games, the way they closed out, you know, the game against Tampa Bay, the Wilcox touchdown, before that against uh, the Browns, I mean, they didn't really have to do much. I mean, I think, yeah, that last possession, they just sat on it against the Chiefs. You have that third and 11 throw to Higgins where you can just take a knee. I mean, do you think the Bengals have just gotten better at closing out games, even with some of these lackadaisical starts that they've had in the last, you know, six or seven games? I don't know if lackadaisical is the right word for starts. Um, just poor, I guess. You know, um, there's not really, you know, I, I don't know if it's, you know, I, I, I don't know what it is, truthfully. Um, you know, but you're, you're talking about a team that you know, had like a seven-minute drive for a touchdown. Um you know, to kind of salt the game away in, in Tampa Bay. Um, then the week before you play the Browns and obviously you win that game and you have a, uh, you have a nice little, I believe you had a nice little drive at the end of that game to kind of end it. Um, you know, they played well on defense too. Um, going back to week all the way in week, I believe, uh, let's see, it was week three. They played the, um, they played the Jets on the road and late in the game, they had like an eight-minute drive uh, where they actually missed a field goal on that drive, um, but they had an eight-minute drive up two scores, and that that put the game away. I mean, the Jets were using their timeouts, and they just couldn't get the ball back. Samaje so Pirine kind of salted things away there. So, I mean, you're you're if you're a good offense, um, generally lends itself to you know kind of controlling the ball and controlling the game, and and that's kind of what they've done because it's hard if you're a defense to you know to say like, okay, we're gonna go all in and stop the run because, you know, the Bengals did this a few times a few times against the Chiefs. If you do that, they're not afraid to throw the ball in those situations and they'll burn you. So they're, they're just a tough, they're a tough team to stop really in kind of all areas. Yeah, they really are. Uh, with the running game though, I mean, I know they didn't really rely too much on it uh, in the second half, obviously, because at that point you have a short field position. You're mostly just throwing the ball uh, in short position like Burrow did. But I mean, uh, you know, 
I have to pull the stats back up, but I mean, there really wasn't much to remember for either Pete Ryan or Mixon. Although I do think Mixon had a few first down runs. So like, if you're looking at DVOA, I think that would actually say he did fine. Um, but I mean, I guess is that kind of an outlier? I mean, I know they didn't have the highest numbers in that game, but from a DVOA perspective, do you think, you know, Pirine and Mixon still did fairly well and that they'll just keep that up against the Patriots? Yeah, I mean, like I've said before, they're not really a running team. Um, I don't envision them as kind of a a team that's just going to, you know, line it up and say, okay, guys, we're going to run the ball in this gap, try and stop it. Um, that's just not who they are. Um, you have to be able to run the ball to some extent. You don't have to be necessarily good at it. You have to run the ball, um, you know, you have to at least efficiently. Um, yeah, so, you know, the run game, to me, that was a concern um, from Sunday's game if I was the Bengals, just in kind of the way that that game unfolded and what you want. So um, I think what you're going to do is you're going to stay with Nixon probably and, you know, kind of stay with that that split where he's getting, you know, 60%, 70% of the touches. Um, P. Ryan very clearly did earn more in his in his time where Mixon was hurt because um, they're giving Mixon the ball – or excuse me, they're giving P. Ryan the ball more. They're giving him more touches um, compared to before when Mixon was injured. So, um, you know, to me, I, I just think you, there's not really a ton that you can change at this point, and you just hope that, you know, those guys can, you know, can be efficient enough to where teams kind of have to trust that, and then you can burn them with the pass game. Couldn't agree more. That's exactly what I was thinking. You read my mind like a psychic. So let's see if I can read your mind as I look at the latest NFL MVP odds as of December 20th being Tuesday. Um, what I'm looking at is via FanDuel Sportsbook. And of course, this could change uh, throughout the week. And I'm pretty sure, you know, Caesar Sportsbook and DraftKings have pretty similar odds. But this is it right here. Um, in first place, Patrick Mahomes, he, he leaps back up. Uh, and actually leaps up pretty high. He was in the plus odds for a while, uh, at least for the last week or two. Now he's favored by minus 350. So Jalen Hurts, who was in first place, uh, goes back down to second where he's been most of uh, the second half of the season. He's favored plus 550. This is the interesting part. Josh Allen and Joe Burrow's odds. Odds. I'm sorry, I can't speak today. Their odds are tied plus 600. Um that's a given with the way Allen just sliced and dice against the Dolphins defense and that comeback win in the snow of all places in Buffalo Saturday, you know, with Burrow, he didn't have a bad game at all, but you know, he was working with short field position, uh, which helped him and he didn't really have a great first half. So um, didn't really hurt his odds. He just looks like he's kind of sitting in third place right behind him to attack with Iloa. I mean, his odds haven't really changed. He's only in fourth place because Allen moved up to that spot with Burrow. His favorite his favorite odds are plus 15,000. And in fifth, oh man, you're going to like this. Justin Jefferson, the only one who's not a quarterback on this list, uh, plus 15,000. So he's actually tied with Tua uh, in that fifth spot. I should say, yeah, that, they're technically tied for fourth, fifth, however you want to look at it. But um, two things here. First of all, are you amazed that Justin Jefferson is even in that conversation? I'm not saying he's going to win it, but are you amazed by that? And number two, um, even after, again, a game that wasn't the best, but that wasn't the worst for Burrow, how much more narrow does the window get to catch up? And how much is that affected by Jalen Hurts' shoulder injury, which I should also add out there? Yeah, well, with the first part, Jefferson, I mean, he's had a great year. It's kind of hard to dispute if you just kind of look at his numbers and what he's meant to that Minnesota offense. So, you know, I mean, obviously, I don't think he has a chance to win. I don't think Tua has a chance to win either. 
Um, but, you know, to me that, you know, congrats to them for, for a really good year because I think a lot of people were doubting Tua going into the year. And, um, you know, Justin Jefferson, I mean, people knew he was going to be awesome, and I think he might have even surpassed those expectations. Um, as for Burrow, yeah, the, the Jalen Hurts thing does really suck for Jalen um, because, I, I, he, I mean, last week he was the favorite um, and, you know, I know he threw two picks in that game against Chicago, but he also rushed for 61 yards and ran for three more touchdowns and the, and the Eagles won again. Um, so you're talking about a guy who has led his team to a 13 and one record with, with three games to play. Um, and obviously the Eagles played the, I believe they play the Cowboys this week and then they play the saints and the giants. So like you win two of those games, you're talking a 15 and two season, a 15 and two season with Jalen Hurts kind of staying on pace to me, that's enough to win MVP. Um, you know, I would have been, I would have been probably okay with either answer, he or Mahomes. Um, now, I mean, it's it, like the odds indicate it's probably pretty, pretty clearly a, uh, a Mahomes race to lose. Um, I know that they struggled against Houston, but you get Seattle, Denver, Vegas, and the year. Those aren't necessarily, um, you know, those aren't necessarily world beaters. You've got. Patrick Mahomes, who, who's throwing on average for more yards in, in a game than he has at any point in his career. Um, he's not going to throw for as many touchdowns in he, as he had in his career. He threw for 50 back in 2018. Um, but he's going he's gonna to reach second, assuming that, you know, he throws for at least three touchdowns in the next three games, um, which I think is a pretty safe bet. So, yeah, I mean, the narrow is, or the margin for error is really, really small for Burrow at this point. Um, you know, he's got to have a great game against New England, a great game against Buffalo, and a great game against Baltimore. And, um, yeah, it, I mean, if the Bengals lose two of those, you're probably, you can probably count them out. Um, but, you know, if the Bengals go 3-0 and and he has a great game and Jalen Hurts is out, I don't think it's unreasonable to see Burrow on second on the podium. But for now, I mean, he's pretty clearly a, a distant third with, uh, with Allen. If the Texans... The one twelve and one Texans after that game against the Chiefs, if they had done the unthinkable and didn't fumble the ball and lose the game in overtime, overtime to the second best team in the AFC, how much would that have stunted his odds? Maybe a little bit, but uh, I mean, also Patrick Mahomes went thirty six of forty one for three hundred and thirty six yards, two touchdowns, and he ran for thirty three more yards and a touchdown. He did. So he yeah, did. That's just not. <laughs> That, you know, you can you can point to um, you know you can point to a game like that and say like you know oh that's you know that's pretty weird that that you know the Chiefs struggled and blah 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 blah. But I mean, when you're when you're that good, they lost. I believe it was um, two fumbles uh, in that game. So you turned the ball over twice. It wasn't Patrick Mahomes. Um, that that I don't know if that's really a game that you can hold against him. Um, so I, I don't know, and maybe a little bit, but I don't think it would have changed a whole heck of a lot, just considering how good he was. Oh, yeah, no, the, the guy was lights out, and that's why I don't think it would have either, but I know the odds makers are you know, kind of weird because, like, you know, you made a good point with Mike and I a couple times in the last couple weeks. You know, those quarterbacks who get that MVP are almost always a one-seed or a two-seed, and so I'm thinking, you know, say the Chiefs lose that game, which like they almost did, and that – is a concern not for Mahomes, but for many other reasons that I still cannot believe almost happened. But, you know, let's say they lose that game. The Bengals are the number two seed at that point because they have the tiebreaker advantage. Both teams would be 10-4, and four, but the Bengals beat them, so they're behind Buffalo. And if somehow the Bengals run the table the next three weeks, win the North, win the first seed, and the Chiefs somehow find themselves at third, 
and Mahomes is outdueled by Burrow in the next three weeks, you still have to be fair and give Jalen Hurts consideration, even with a shoulder injury, because you're right. He played more than fairly well before he got hurt against the Bears, but at the same time, it's like, you know, there's a, there's a good argument. Like, I'm saying if they lost that game and the Chiefs can't get a one or two seed, and Burrow statistically, I don't think it catches up to Mahomes because Mahomes leads in passing yards, touchdowns, and is at least tied or up there with completion percentage in the top three. But I'm saying if Burrow down the stretch makes a really strong case where he doesn't throw tipped pass picks like he's thrown all year, because those are his only interceptions, which I don't think is the worst thing in the world. But like if he doesn't do that, he gets clean protection like he's been getting overall and, you know, he monies it up to his three receivers. I think at that point you you make a strong case for whether he at least finishes over Mahomes in the voting, even if Bro doesn't win it, which I don't think is improbable, uh, but certainly difficult at this point. So I don't know. I think that's going to be a really interesting thing to watch for the next couple of weeks. But stay tuned tomorrow. Mike Nislick and I will look at the Bengals defense and see what they can do to keep Mac Jones and the Patriots offense stymied along with everything else in between you need to know about special numbers and stats for this game. And we might have a special guest that many Bengals fans know well. But once again, for myself and Andrew Gillis, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. See you back here tomorrow.